0: Welcome to Shetland with Laurie, a podcast dedicated to Shetland, the place and the people with me, Laurie Goodland, a writer and tour guide based at 60 degrees north. The Shetland with Laurie podcast is for people who have visited Shetland or who would like to visit or for those who would just like to know a little bit more about life here. So welcome, I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to today's show. Today on the podcast, I am chatting to my dad, Arnold Goodlad, and it has been a marathon editing his his podcast. They probably say somewhere that you should never work with family. But anyway, I think that it's a, a fantastic show. And in today's episode, we are speaking about his life at sea. My dad is a fisherman who grew up on the island of Borough and he spent most of his most of his life at sea. So, in the podcast, we speak about the fishing industry here in Shetland. Today, we touch on what it looked like in the past, and we hear about uh, some of the kind of the darker days at sea. We speak about when they lost the Maverick, which was one of the boats he was on, and when he fell overboard from one of the, the fishing boats he was on so there's loads to speak about and I hope that you understand them I did ask him to speak English but his response was that if anybody didn't understand they could listen again <laughs> so I hope you enjoy today's show so let's just get stuck right in Have you got the headphones in?
1: Yeah
0: Why okay. do I need them, made? So that you can hear me Oh,
1: uh-huh, okay
0: So you're in it you can hear me. Uh-huh. I can hear thee. I've hit
1: record. Just do it. Hey, that's...
0: I would imagine so. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Okay, Dad.
0: Okay, so before we start, mind and speak English or some close yeah. the English. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so hello, Dad. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, Laurie. Thank you for having me.
0: So, for those of you who haven't had the privilege of knowing you, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do?
1: Well, that's might need to be edited, <laughs> but believe it or not, I am half English. <laughs> my mum was born in Portsmouth and after my granddad died, she moved up to Shetland at five when my granny remarried a Shetlander. My granddad was lost in the wire.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because I keep forgetting to speak English. So we might wander off into a broad Shetland accent, but I'm sure that Laurie will bring me up on that. Now, <laughs> then, what was the question? <laughs>
0: Um, I just asked if you could introduce yourself, so we could start with a name.
1: I am Arnold Goodland. and, well, you're not caring about an age, but I was born in 1962 in Hamnavo, Shetland.
0: And Hamnavo is on the island of Borough, which is now connected to the mainland by a bridge, and the bridge yes. the bridge came when you were quite young, so what was it, what was it like growing up in Borough, in the days before we had the bridge connecting us to the mainland, and do you think it was a,
1: a good thing? Well, obviously, it was a good thing, but at the same time, it was brilliant before the bridge came. So Life was completely different. The, the, you had the, where there were, what were the th- three shops in at Sale. Everyone had we, they had boats coming out to the pier. We uh, everything, everything, the fuel, to fishing nets, to flour and butter, and so oh, there was just a hive activity done around the pier at a time through the day when the fishing boats were off. That the shop boats were coming, we had uh, the stuff barrels of, of petrol that had to be poured into the tanks up at the shop and yeah just completely completely different wildlife just so much better a pretty bit Katie Morag <laughs> <laughs> Katie
0: Morag for anybody that doesn't know is a children's book that was written by Mary Heiderwick and it's based in the Western Isles but very much similar to how Shetland is and was so Bora Borough, yeah. is very much a fishing community and fishing has always played a prominent kind of, what's well, the main industry or it was the main industry in the island. And you left school at 15 and started the fishing. So can you tell us about how you started at the fishing and, and actually what school was like for you?
1: School was basically a, a case of having to go there and looking out the window and watching you could be in the boat. Uh, did it,
0: so did you always um, know that you were going to go to sea and be a fisherman?
1: I couldn't have say that I always knew I was going to go to sea and be a fisherman. But it was all that was ever on my mind. I mean, you were, you were brought up with it. That when the boats came in at night, I mean, they were fishing just in the in, 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 the Borough Half, which was only basically about, well, the nearest battle is about a mile and a half from the hem lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And you could look out the windows on a bonny day, you could actually see the boats in the North Half fashion. And then when you got home at night, if you would manage to sneak away doing the chores, getting in the for because I was brought up in a host suite that my granny and granddad lived and went, named. Although, my granddad, it's a bit vague. I, I, I have vague memories of him, but I'm not sure if it's memories or is it just things that I've been reminded of? Because yeah. he used to sit in the end, And, because he wasn't, at that time, he wasn't able, he had arthritis, and he wasn't able to, to go to the fashion mare. So he repaired the, Herring nets for either local fishermen.
0: So when do, when you got the opportunity to leave school at fifteen, then it was straight to the fishing, was it? Yeah. And what boat Actually, did you? Actually,
1: before I was before I left the school, I I went old Scott Ward coming and asking if I would come come with him in the sunshine. So I was always mucking around the beer in the boat, and when the, and when the boats came in, then. You would get under the pier, and as soon as you were able that th- that you could lift the the basket of fish, then you would you would be helping you' pour the fish down in the hold whenever dead worked in the hold of the of the unison, and the mine would be certain gotten in the side decks, so in dead climbed the shoot with the shovel, you would pour down the basket of fish if you were once you got strong enough you could do it.
0: And what kind of fish
1: was it? Whitens. Nearly always whitens. <laughs> they, they did come in sometimes We cod and, and, and headaches, but that was predominantly whitened, so they'd bought a half.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you'd and get maybe, and at that time, a lot of the boats were running the market to Aberdeen, because the prices here, there, there was, we did not have under island ferries that we knew. Yeah, so and what you
0: so the, what you mean is anyone, that sorry? what you mean is that the boats were taking their catch and selling it in the market in Aberdeen rather yeah. than selling it here.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they would they would fish away for until the hold was more or less full or until the weekend it, and then they'd make for Aberdeen. Which I mean, it cost them three days, two to three days, fishing time, but. It was really the best way to do it at that time.
0: Yeah. And today we've got much improved transport links, so it means that fish can be landed here in Shetland and then shipped away on the boat that same night. So fish can get to the markets much quicker today than what they could in the past.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What was the first boat that you worked on when you left school?
1: Well, when I left the school, I gave me Uncle Duncan in the Avrella. But before that, Scott Ward had offered me a, a bath in the sunshine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was going to go with them originally, and then the scupper, he had a heart attack, and he survived his heart attack, but they didn't, they didn't know what they were going to do with the boat, they, because he was the only one with a scupper stuck around, around her. Mm-hmm. and Scott came up along and said, if I could if I had the chance of a birth with another boat, then take it because take the chance because he didn't didn't know what they were going to do. After that, he did go and set his scupper staggered it, and and he carried on for a good few years with the sunshine, but by that time I'd ended up we we uh, my uncle and Avrella. Mhm.
0: And so, what type of boat was she?
1: Yeah, she was just a basic uh basically built dual C net drift, drift net boat. But it'd be that time the the drift net had basically come to an end per scene and was coming on the scene and the drift netters had been sort of the last of them were on the go. But they were only one or two still left going to the drift net. He was C net man. And what were you fishing for? Quite uns in the bar I have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so just for 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 a lot of people listening, they'll have no idea about the fishing industry at all in mm. Shetland. So can can you just kinda speak us through the fishing industry here and what types of fishing people do and for what they're catching?
1: Well there's fishing for pretty much. Everything that's around the shores, uh, you have the the small boat, the, the small boat fleet, which when I was a Bairn basically consisted of a, of a locally built Shetland model boat, which was a double ender, and a lot of them at that. When I was a, a youngster, were were fitted with one we and a half or four horsepower Stewart Turner engines and. They'd fish for lobsters and crabs, single creels, held by hand. And at that time, too, most of that was shipped direct to Ballonskirt in, in tea boxes. Tea boxes? And, yeah, tea boxes, big tea boxes. <laughs> and uh, packed with either seaweed or torn up newspapers, made damp so that the, that the lobsters would get to gate life. And you had that that class of boats, when, and that was mostly retired fishermen. They would work them sort of just as a, a hobby with an extra income. Mm-hmm. And then you had the, the, well, the 50 to fifty to 75-foot class dual-purpose hern seen others. And uh, they would see they, they would drift net in the in the, the summer months when the heron were about. The most of them would be doing the drift net. We always used to look forward to the end of the season because you'd get word that they were leaving Larrick. This was before the break came. and you'd get word that they were leaving Larrick or they left Larrick. So we would go to Biargir, which is where it's a big banks just past the. <coughs> Smuggler's cave
0: hmm.
1: that's, that's it, up above the Mockle the Loch in Borough here in Herneville, and we'd watch for them coming around the, the point of Catlinus because they when they got here, they would be taking the herring nets ashore. So we would always get, get to help them. hackers had a truck, and the truck would be up and down the pier, and you're taking the nets out and, and hauling, hauling them out in the on his spare ground that was around Hamnavo here, and they'd spread them out so they got the rain on them to, to wash the sap water out of them, and then they'd leave them to dry. And although we were helping, we used to use the bows kind of like space hoppers, <laughs> and you'd bounce around on them. But the bows were getting, actually supposed to be going in the shades. Every house around here had a a pretty net store at the back of the house that they would mind their nets in through the, through the winter months and then the, that would be putting up on the left until next season. Mm-hmm. But the best thing about hearing coming around was you got a bottle of lemonade. <laughs> they always had bottles of lemonade for the bairns and bottles of beer for the men. The Shetland fleet today is a very, very versatile fleet. You have most of the Shetland models, are have gone now. So you have anything for seven metre boats up to 80, 90 metre boats. The small seven metre, when we sail, I have a, a, a pretty boat I work in my part time for fishing for mackerel and lobsters and crabs. And then you go right up to to what is the the up through the the whitefish fleet, which varies for 40, fi forty fifty feathers fishing. Most of the forty fathers are fishing for scallops and squid when that's when that's in in season, and then also the whitefish periodically but the weather is the biggest problem for that size of boat. And then you go into the 80, 80 to 100 foot class of boats that are fishing for whitefish, cod, head, whiten, uh, monks, ang- angler fishes at the k and And uh, Mister of working mostly out down the deep edge of uh, Shetland. It's like the continental you, shelf. Yeah, they work With a lot of them work inshore when the when the headaches are inshore, they'll, they'll work inshore then, but usually they're working more out, the, out on the edge of the continental shelf fishing for, for monks and what have you, line cod. And then you get the the pelagic fleet, which is whoa, really a certain in its in its own, it's they're massive. And they fish purely for hern and mackerel. That's and blue whiten, that's the the three species that they sort of target. But they missed they're tied up most of the year because of quotas. And I'll say that they work maybe at the mast a couple of months a year, but that's massive 80 80 to 90 metres super trawlers.
0: I think people are always surprised to learn that fishing and aquaculture do make up half the local economy here so it's always been kind of the mainstay industry and I think people are always surprised that even today it's still the greater part of the local island economy.
1: Really speaking, we we out the aquaculture industry. That, that and I'm classing aquaculture as the white fish, pelagic, everything. We out aquaculture, Shetland wouldn't exist. I don't think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of folks speak about the oil that's that's around Shetland and now, but this Shetland has benefited an awful lot with oil because because of the. Uh, the system that was set up by Ian Clark at the time, the, the council. And and he got a, a, a really good deal for the Shetland council and economy. It brought in like a lot of financial gains, but it only actually employs a handful of the of the population. Yeah. It's a very small percentage of the population. So we ought the aquaculture industry, Shetland would not be.
0: No, it isn't. It's it's so important. to Every, not just for the fishing alone, but for all the businesses that rely on the fishing industry, all the kind of associated businesses and engineering firms and well, everything like, that for, goes along along yeah, with Yeah,
1: for for every every one man that that that's working on a fishing boat, or on an aquaculture salmony type boat, you hear I don't know, probably at least a dozen men or more that are employed through that, between engineers, shops, everything. It, it's just the whole the, the whole population basically, at least seventy percent, seventy five percent of the population is, is employed basically through aquaculture.
0: Mm-hmm. And so when you, so, so you going gone back again, so you left school, started at the fishing and you were on quite a number of boats and you, hit, you were a shareholder in quite a number of boats over the years. Can you just kind of speak a bit about what life at sea was like? What did, a, what did the working week for a fisherman look like?
1: Well I wasn't I actually on quite a number of boats I mean, I started off with Duncan and Davrela. There
0: well, there's a pretty big gallery wall of them at home.
1: Yeah, yeah, right now, but that was Messlins that I owned or had chairs in. Yeah, the fashion. That was brilliant. It's just, it's just a, a completely different way of life to work in a I, 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 I hate the fashion for a period and, and get into the salmon industry as to canes. Mm-hmm. And I work at, at that time I worked at Jim and Josephine Scott and, and Hayda. I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy it. But the enjoyment only lasted for so long. And then it began to be a I don't know a a mundane get up at this time and get home at that time and go to bed and get up again and do the same thing. And it was the same every day, day in and day out. And and so I get back to the fashion. And with the fashion, there's absolutely no consistency in it whatsoever. It was just that every day was different. It was just, yeah, it was just so much better. It was just that it was a wonderful feeling getting out because you you were seeing the lights of the boats ahead of you and a star in you. And mm-hmm. you would see them bobbing around as you were going out into the, the Borough Half. And then as the daylight was appearing, you were always timing it so as the skipper would, would be made up his mind probably the night before why he was going to shut in the Borough Half that day. And you'd go and you never really looked for a mark. you just, would be made his mind up the time of morning. That's the sound. You were looking to pack up the tail of your rope. You see net, you shoot it in a triangle. You slap, a, slap a, a couple of boys and then you shoot it way inside the rocks. And then you turn on the, on the corner and you shoot it a bit more and then you shoot the net and you do the same again with either side. You shoot do the better up to the corner, and then you go up, you head up for your your for the bows boys, the den as we can. And then you pick that up and you start hauling. And as you start hauling, you haul it in a slow gear to begin with, until the ropes begin to close. So you're sort of uh, uh, scaring the fish into the net, you always looked to be getting your your den packed up just with the daylight appearing. So some mornings you'd shut and you'd have a, a light on them in case when you got back to them, you couldn't offend them for the, the lack of light. But mostly the, the, there was enough light that you would see the den and you'd pack them up and then you'd start hauling. And once the gear came, that the ropes were coming together, you 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 could start speeding up the winch. So it was pulling quacker and quacker, herding the, the fish into the net. Mm-hmm. And once the, the net closed, she went into full speed. So as you were you were you were actually pulling the boat astern at the same time as you were pulling the net towards you. And by that time the daylight was really up and you could see the shore inside you and the other boats are around you and oh beautiful feeling, wonderful feeling.
0: <laughs> Happy memories. So historically Shetlanders have always been described as as fishermen we a croft. so fishermen predominantly that would have some arable land for growing and we know that the, the agriculture in Shetland is quite difficult, we've got fairly poor soils, we've got a short growing season, but fishing has always been strong here. So why is it that the waters around Shetland are so rich in fish?
1: Well, it's because of the Gulf Stream, pretty much the Gulf Stream, because you you have deep water and the continental shelf, and we're sitting out here on a pinnacle, and you have all tides, the Gulf Stream, the tides, everything is going by here, so you have warm water coinciding with cold water, plenty of feed in the water. So that, that's basically why it is. And Shetland, Maine, weren't a fishermen really. I mean, that was the Vikings that broke that in. I mean, I don't know how far back you're wanting to go, but it was, it was land based and they gave to the fishermen to supplement their diet. Yeah. Until such time as I, I don't think no cane does better as me, but was it no probably about the Hanseatic time that, that that they started to be able to, to fish for money?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that it's if you look at the kind of the archaeological evidence and we can see that the the first time that Shetlanders begin actually pursuing fish on a meaningful scale is during the later Norse period which is you have the Viking period and they settle and that becomes the Norse period and it's at Mm -hmm. that time kind of coming into what, what would be better known as the medieval period that we see fish fishing on a meaningful scale and then we had the Hanseatic era and that was very much exporting fish all across kind of Baltic areas and through Europe
1: yeah, yeah, which is even, like to so hear in Hamneville, if do if goes back to the, the war years and the 60s, really the only, the main fission fleets in Shetland were in Walsa and Borough, and Scarries. Yeah, he had a few boats, but he had a population, no money. Honest was the to North Maven, I mean, at, at the time of the of the sail boats going, like the Saxarines, North Maven had a massive fleet. Yeah, of
0: that boats. was in the, the 19th century.
1: Yeah, yeah. But they lost uh, that because they had land. But Bora and Hualse didn't have land. There was not enough land to provide. So the fusion, the fusion was predominantly the main issue. <laughs> in 1860, <laughs> there was only two or three buildings here in Hemnivore. and One of them was a shop. So Hemniveau only built up when the herring industry came.
0: That would have been in the 1900s.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, 18, 1860, I'm going back there, I think there was two houses in Hemniveau then. And it built up after that, but before that, the population was around southern Eindeborough where the land was better. Yeah. Now, once the population in Hamnaval was getting up a bit, they were fishermen and the hern industry gave it back. So they started adapting themselves to the sea to net. The sea net, to begin with, it was the, the line fishermen and with line lines and head lines. But then the CNET came on to go and that was about the time that my grandfather was living here, or, or my grandfather. And then the CNET came, so they started using the, what they'd learned with the, with the head lines and the line lines, the areas of the borough half. And if you look through Charlie Sampson's book, uh. Water in Burgiedale. That gives you there's a lot of interviews there with the the sort of the basically the last and C net mine. And the the last and C net mine that were using meads to fish me don't so explain what meads are.
0: Yeah, so that's when you're at sea, you can identify your fishing ground by fixing yourself to a point on land or a couple of points on land so that you know exactly what spot you're in by lining up places on land.
1: Hence the name of the book, Water in Burgiedale.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll put a link <laughs> to the book in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so when when you were speaking about going after the fishing and how nice it was seeing all the other boats and everything, you you kind of paint uh, quite a, a nice picture of of fishing, and you have it kind of brings this idea to mind that it was quite idyllic and calm seas and plenty of fish coming in over the side, but it is one of the most dangerous professions. That there is, and while you were at sea, you've lost boats. You've been rescued from going overboard. Do you want to speak about the the kind of harsher side of of a life at sea?
1: Yeah, well, there's there's a lot a lot of fact being lost around here. With a a lot of fact being lost, the whole way around the British coast we fish, and it's. One of the hazards, one of the hazards, it's, it's, it's in the fashion and, and no matter whether it's in Shetland or in Scotland, uh, when you hear uh, oh, a fisherman or a boat being lost, it's never a, it's actually kind of emotional. Mm-hmm. You never like to hear that. No. But yeah, I, I'd, we, the, the, first, the first boat that I had a share in she was built in Norway. We, we got her in 1980. And, but we only had her three months because we, we, we were fishing inshore at Fair Isle. And as Duquesne's lorry, there are a lot of boats going going ashore there. But we, we yeah. got a big haul of fish. And there's a, a, a really, really strong tide that runs around Fair Isle.
0: Yeah, so just for context, Fair Isle is our most southerly island and yeah. kind of sits between Shetland and Orkney and there's a yeah it's the meeting of the North Sea and the North Atlantic so you get quite quite strong tides that run through that area.
1: Yeah and and we had this big shot of fascia board and uh, the tide was taking was in below the south lighthouse at Fair Isle. And there's a few scaries that lies out after the lighthouse. Lighthouse is actually on the south end of the Fair Isle, but there's a, a good few scaries that lies out them. When anybody that's listening to this goes to come to Shetland, then if they go for a look as they come up and lies Fair Isle, they'll see the scaries <laughs> that we <laughs> lost the Maverick on. <laughs> Ideally, you don't want to put your Propeller in gear when you're hauling the net when you're bagging fish, but the tide was sweeping us was in, into the scaries. Yeah, we thought we were we were gotten clear, and when Duncan Skipper got to check again, we were getting too close to the scaries again, and so he, he came a star her again. But the, when they'd looked down to see if the net was clear, the net looked as if it was clear for the propeller. But it turned out it wasn't. So as soon as you put the board in a the gear, the, the propeller, the net just folded around the propeller. And uh, yeah, we, the tide just took us straight, straight ashore, around in scaries.
0: So you ran aground?
1: We ran aground, yeah.
0: What did that and, feel like or sound uh, like?
1: Well, I don't know if kind of delayed it does or no, but it felt hellish. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, really the only way I can explain it. That was just the most heart-ranging feeling. that you, you you felt sick because you thought, right, this is... Because at that time, I mean, I, I was below the deck shelter the, the Maverick was a, a fully decked boat and we were under the shelter and didn't know what was going on up on the up on top of the shelter and on the stern. so the first that I was aware of was the just the crunch crunching and the banging and, and just the boat you knew you were ashore yeah when we paddled the Mayday and, and there was a, another boat in the area the responsive. She was uh, I think she was Fraser registered and he came into us and we fired a a rocket line to him because we couldn't mean we we couldn't do anything we're helpless. Yeah. Uh, We fired a rocket line to him and then attached a a heavy rock to it. And they tried pulling the rock but we'd tied in the water they got the rope to the boat, and they got the rope on the winch. The rope, the rope, anyway. So we had to hear another go, and we had several attempts, and, and couldn't get, couldn't get anywhere. And then, then Barry Sinkler came with the fair eye. They'd seen what was going on. I think Barry was maybe actually in the the auxiliary cost guard in Fair Isle, but I'm not sure about
0: that. I have a feeling that there was, the night that it happened, there was a widen in Fair Isle, because I spoke to somebody in Fair Isle, and I think everybody in Fair Isle was at a widen that night.
1: Possibly, yeah, I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) Although I was on Fair Isle, I wasn't actually there.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) you weren't at the widen.
1: I wasn't at the widen, no, it was... was yeah, It was more like a wake, <laughs> but uh, Barry came up with his his small boat, and they took a rope out to the, or tried to get a rope put to the the responsive but if everything that we did it just everything just failed the, the tide was just too strong for us to to manage anything and eventually the 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 with lifeboat had been there for a start and the, and then they uh what was his name clark uh, hewitt but anyway he they they came in to us, and they told us we hate the abandon because by be that time the, the diesel was coming out through the air vent, everything was just a mess sloppy we we ended up we were pulling off our boats because we we couldn't stand, we had to go around the deck and our sock feet,
0: yeah,
1: and uh they told us to abandon and and they were going to come in with a Gemini, a a small rubber inflatable, because they they were fair to, because of where we were, they were fair to come in with a lifeboat. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they come in with a Gemini and we got the life raft, first life raft over the side. And fortunately, we had a, charts and everything get in the first life raft because I mean they were invaluable it was a ah, Duncan's fishing ice, ice uh, uh, information.
0: So for anybody that's non-nautical a chart is like a map of the sea and fishermen will mark their charts with their fishing grounds and any kind of useful information.
1: That... But when we got out of that button in the life raft then we realized there wasn't going to be room for any Mind to go in it. So the Gemini, well, I kind of mind right if we realised there wasn't going to be room, but the the Gemini broke down anyway. And so they drafted, they did with it, because they'd broken down the root board had failed, they went with the life raft. Unfortunately, nine of us, thank goodness, nine of us were in the life raft because. We then not and done the last life raft. And Hewitt, Hewitt Clark, he got the lifeboat in and, and he got the Gemini and he packed it up the main. But what he then did was he, he said to us, get the other life raft over inside and get in there. And we'll come in as close as we, we can chance and throw a up to you. And if you head on and cut the rock for the Maverick, We'll pull you out as fast as we can. So that was what we did. We just, all eight of us got into the life raft and, and the rope came and, and we just passed it right through the life raft and every one of us just hang in while he came full speed astern with the lifeboat and uh, took us out to there. What a, an immense act of seamanship. I mean, for him to, to be able to do that, Keenan risking his in mine, and his and his boat.
0: Yeah.
1: To to, to get way out of there, and, and the, uh, although it was a a beautiful calm night, you still had the the, the what we call the ground swell, the swell coming out in around the rocks. So the boat was actually she was she was going for rolling all around her side, and crunching and banging, and you could hardly hear yeah. yourself speaking to one another. It was, yeah. Uh, he, uh, an amazing man, and he got on to, to, to save so many, other their fucked lives, and he got a, a few words for it too, which he was, yeah, he, he really, he really did do well, Hewitt, he was a, a really good scabber.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's a really important thing to say as well, is that here in Shetland we do have the RNLI, which is the the lifeboat and it's a predominantly a a voluntary organization. The vast majority of men and and women, I'm not sure if there's any women on the lifeboat here, but they're all volunteers and all the, all the money to run the lifeboat is all through charitable donations.
1: Yeah. And I'm spent most of of my life no most of my life at the fashion because I, I, I retired for I hate to retire for it. But I've always been on, on the I he me peri no and there's no way that I could do what that what that fuck do. It's yeah.
0: The you could you
1: couldn't appraise any of them high enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're kinda of
0: unsung
1: heroes
0: in the community.
1: Absolutely. Really. Absolutely. And to think that it's run as a charity. Yeah. and no financed in any way by government yeah just yeah but i think
0: i think that this this local statistics kind of speak volumes about how how important the lifeboat is viewed by the community here because if you look at the donations to the lifeboat these f- statistics i got 2 years ago so they may have changed but if you look at the donations in per head of population in England, it is 10 pence per person annually is donated to the lifeboat. In Scotland, which the north of Scotland, very much a fishing, kind of fishing communities, that figure rises to 30 pence per person annually. And in Shetland, it rises again to £2.30 per person annually. Yeah. It? So it just kind of shows how much the community here value it. I think that you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that doesn't or hasn't had some experience of it within their family of having to use the lifeboat.
1: Every fashion community is the same. Every wine around mm-hmm. the cost of Breton, it, it, yeah. it, it really cannot be praised enough Yeah. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant.
0: And uh, and you were lost, over decided about too, at one time. No, thankfully, I was not lost. Well, no, you weren't lost. You were retrieved.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they retrieved me. <laughs> they managed to retrieve me. Yeah, thank goodness. I, I'm not sure if they would be here. They certainly would have been. They certainly would, would have been deadiless.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: uh, we were fishing half a foot full and there again I was very, very fortunate because it was a, a bony night and uh, we were putting, I was putting the sweeps, sweeps are the bit that comes before the net and I was trying to get that into the, the power block. My very first experience at the fishing, year and a half we did in the unison, was I I mind sitting in the side deck. he gave me a gotty knife and told me to go and sit there and and got, got fish. So I went in the side deck, but I sat at the wrong side of the rope and he just gripped the head of me and says, boy, and he gripped the head of the rope and he says, boy, never, ever sit on the outside of a rope on a fishing boat. And he padded over me he'd mm-hmm. say it was outside of me, mm-hmm. and that lay in with me but this this night, the board uh, we were hauling the night, and it was heavy chain sweeps, so you actually had to go on the outside of them and and push them into the power block, but by that time the gear was getting that heavy, you had to actually stand on the outside of it and push it in and the, as I pushed it in, then the, the chain on the outside of the boat, the propeller clapped at the chain, mm. and that threw me out over the stern of the boat, which wasn't very good because they couldn't have manoeuvred the boat because they had a net hanging at the stern of and mm-hmm. I was swimming in the sea in the dark. We full all of the skiing zone, yeah, and my, my first recollection was that that oh, my rubber boots are filling my water, and i'm sinking,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I started kicking my boots off, and then I realized the boat was getting further away from me, so I started swimming towards the boat, which was really kind of difficult mm-hmm. and like I see the boys were all lined up, aligned the side over, And uh, I was trying to get nearer there, but also trying to get my boots kicked off at the same time. And, and uh, yeah, it was... Everything for then on is a pretty bit vague, but apparently I get in there several times. And years later, I mind James Willem Lowen's and saying to me that the last time that he sent me... The, the last time he saw me hand game under the water he thought he wouldn't see me again. Mm-hmm. But I came up a second time and I haven't the node his anger. I think it was Angus coming. that he'd that he was gotten the clap near enough to me that I managed to grab it mm-hmm. and he pulled me they pulled me up to the side of the boat and then they, they got a rock done around and under me I, I got that passed over my head and under me arms, and they pulled me back aboard again. But yeah, that was a that was a bit of a uh, yeah wake up call. But no, really, because well, you just get again because you had to go. Yes. <laughs> thank God, I, I didn't have lost my life. But I think I never realised until speaking to James am well. about years later, I never realised just how close to death I actually did come.
0: Yeah, I remember when when I was younger then, I would quite often come off to the fishing on whatever boat you had at the time, and whether it was because I enjoyed the young crew that you were employing at the time, that's why. <laughs> <by> a <laughs> <the time. laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But I, I actually, I, I remember trying to impress one of your crew, he had like a shaved, the side of his head was shaved, but he had like longer hair on top and I was trying to impress him with my fish gutting skills and uh, and then one of the other crew came along and we loads of swear words told me what a backside I was making of it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the the wine we'd load swear words would have be been Peter Nicholson. Yeah, it was yeah. <laughs> yeah, he works out in Chali now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's but, in Chali. Neither I... boy neither boy would have been Ryan, Ryan. He's now scapper, Oh I'm not sure if it, I think it's the prolific. He's he's uh when the the prolific. Must have a fine boy.
0: Well I hope he, he doesn't. I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast and realise that that.
1: I hope he does.
0: That, <laughs> that I don't know what age I was, ten probably.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, be pretty bad elders that maybe. Yeah. Well,
0: anyway, <laughs> moving on. <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: so I I can remember when I was we I think it was when we were at the scallops uh, with the Kellyanne, and we were fishing just off Fettler and the radio was on and I can mind hearing the Radio 2 traffic reports and it was speaking about all the like traffic building up all over the country and and you just like just visions of the rat race and people sitting stuck in traffic trying to get home and we were in a boat in the middle of the sea nothing around us and I can remember just thinking how surreal it was and what a kind of strange reality to be living in, it was like a parallel world to the rest of the world that was going on somewhere else. Is that something that resonates with you? Is that something that you feel when you're at sea is that, that you're nearly disconnected from the rest of the world around you? No. No. I'm,
1: I'm connected.
0: <laughs> Just me.
1: It's the rest of the world that's no. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely connected because I'm working with nature, nature. That's where we can be. Nature is what we're about. The rest of the world is getting zooming around in cars and trucks and goodness knows what, running for to catch trains and and she then sitting in an office Addy, pushing bits of paper for here to there says so they can charge me for something I do not really want. <laughs> and and I'm sitting there in me in pretty world watching the, the and trying the world around me, I get I get the sun coming up in the morning. The most beautiful sunrises you ever do, do see. I mind one time, fishing I was at I was fashion over the southern the sky. This is a Shetland podcast. I can't, it this, <laughs> but but that was why I was fishing. And. And I we were fishing down there, and they could see where I was just beside the columns, and I can mind a pretty fluffy cloud. Ken, what what, what the album was that? Little Fluffy Cloud Society. No matter. Before my and, time, probably? Yeah, they wouldn't have been out. can't mind that was saying that. It's to do with Little Fluffy. Anyway. Towing there, a beautiful, beautiful morning. There was not one ripple on the water. The sun was just come up over our uh, uh, the mountains at uh, Hunt Huntmaliq. That would have been been nervous, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And It'll be there. the sun was just <laughs> eh?
0: It'll be there somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the sun was just come up. The daylight just coming up. And this beautiful, beautiful morning. Like a mirror, the sea was like a mirror around me. And all of a sudden, it just erupted. And I have never, ever seen so many white sided parpoises in one go in the whole of my life before or since that time. And I wouldn't have had time to have gotten a camera out to take fathers it, but I can still see it there in my eyes, just as if it was yesterday. Yeah. And and the same up here around Shetland, there's so many things to see and you really sit and you think about, ah, well, you poor fuck, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that are having to sit and listen to me sp- speaking a log of dirt about what, what's natural to me, stuck in offices, trains, wherever you're listening to this podcast at.
0: Well, it but, was it was funny last well probably I think it was last summer then we were off at the mackerel were you and uh, uh-huh. there was a, a whale kinda
1: oh, right, yeah. going
0: past and I was busy trying to get like pictures of on my phone and take videos of this whale and and uh, and you just didn't about an eyelid because you were too busy thinking about getting the mackerel in and, and it was just normal that this like big whale was just cruising along past.
1: Mine did telling me that when they were at the Herne, I was getting back to, to, to the the late forties, early fifties. And I mind him saying at that time the Norwegian whale catchers were were working on lot around Shetland. And they had old bung bung engines, single cylinder, bungadung engines. A link that you can see that engines running. on do somewhere.
0: I might and pass. I might pass on that one.
1: <laughs> and and the whales would be lying alongside because as they were hauling the draft nets, there was there was probably more escaping escape under the nets as they were hauling them. That's what they were actually getting on board the boat. And the heron, you got what they called monkeys, monkeys. That was the heron hogs. that was the that lay around the draft net boats and they would feed after the heron that was that was escaping out of the nets. But as soon as the they would the whales would move and they would go to the they'd reposition themselves and they were hearing the, the old the bong bongs of the Norwegian whale catchers coming and they would mm-hmm. hide at the side of the boat, they would, they, would, they would actually, they knew that they were, they had to the get day there.
0: So they could recognise the scene, <coughs> the, the engine. The, yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So how but do you- Yeah, I was, I was busy catching mackerel, I was busy catching whales.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so how do you use nature while you're fishing? Do you use it as a tool?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty word that I hear now. I hear sonar, echo soundar, radar, all the kinds of things. But when I'm fishing and looking for mackerel, yes, I, I use that, but at the same time, I look for the birds. And if, if I see bird life, regardless of whether I'm seeing or anything on my sonar or no, I'll mack for that bird life. Yeah, but if I see that, then I'll mack for that because I, even though I'm maybe not seeing anything, I'll be there so as yet, there'll be, there'll be some sort of feed or something below them. And chances is the mackerel is driving the feed up. So, yeah, I, I still use, use that. I don't like when I see the heron hugs.
0: Because. The, so nine is, that times... the, is that the monkey
1: or the pilot then? The hermphug? That's because the monkey. That's the monkey. monkey yeah. Whale. But nine times out of ten, if to gets, gets a, a one or two of them, then the mackerel will, will disappear. Okay. But yeah, you still use the, the, you, the, the old wise are still in your head. So, what
0: would you say to anybody that might criticise fishermen and say that fishermen don't care about nature?
1: A grip <laughs> diplomatically. About... What
0: would you, what would you, yeah, I what would you say? I can't say
1: anything about it diplomatically because <laughs> fishermen, fishermen are always caring about nature because the next generation is coming to It doesn't matter how big your boat is and how much money you're wanting to make with your boat. I hate to say that. that I mean, i am been on the big boats and I'm, and I'm doing all that, but the small boats are, to my mind, the most fish-friendly. Why are you catching fish? <laughs> yeah, Not the most profitable, but regardless of whether you're on a, on a, a, a small seven-meter boat or a, or a monster 80, 90-meter boat, you're always thinking about the generation that's coming to hunt you. Yeah. So you you are looking out for nature.
0: Yeah, that's something that I'm always struck by whenever I speak to anybody that's a fisherman and like you said, whether it's somebody on a small boat or when I've interviewed uh somebody on a pelagic boat, then and they still have an appreciation for the kind of natural life around them and that that kinda of, Realisation that they have to protect what's here today for those that are coming tomorrow.
1: One of the, the biggest problems we, we the big, the the big is that, where in Shetland we, we, we have a completely and utterly different way of working compared with the rest of the the rest of Britain. In that every boat is family owned, Are several families owned them. And so you're always looking out for, for, for them that's coming to hunt you, yeah. behind you. Whereas the super trawlers that you're looking at, done, well, most of the super trawlers that are in South England, though, are owned by big conglomerate companies. The yeah. Dutch have a big, big interest in the British fashion fleet. A massive interest in the British fashion fleet. There's a thing in the fashion news this week about the the French small boat fishermen. I think that they're actually going to be protesting tomorrow about a new boat that's been built. It's a, a big 80 or 90 meter boat that's been built. For somewhere in France, but she's do- basically Dutch-owned, and that's where the caring for nature goes with it, and yeah. the money-making greed comes into it.
0: So, for <laughs> visitors that are coming to Shetland, Dad, what would your top three recommendations be? Come for Langer.
1: Common and try, because you 're not going to be able to tuck in everything that 's in Shetland as has a, 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 an immense geology for its square meters and square miles. The geology it 's in Shetland is absolutely phenomenal. The archeology i 'm no seeing i 'm not seeing a fraction of what 's to be seen in Shetland and i 'm left here for fifty eight years. Mm-hmm. Those open my eyes up to to places that i have never I mean I've seen it the lying air I've
0: seen it
1: hundreds of times.
0: Yeah. But
1: for the sea. Yeah.
0: I've
1: never been there. The the, the, the band's uh Ahners, where well, haven't been to Aeshness ever see after. But the bands of Aeshness steaming past name, the Aussie. Stay for lying a enjoy, enjoy it. And the other thing that I would say is, if you're coming here, yes, you hate it up It's a wonderful sight to see.
0: Have you, ever been, sight see. Have you ever been to up Dad?
1: I've been twice. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I've been twice. That was enough. Playing to the audience now. Well, no, it's, <laughs> a, it is a wonderful thing to it see. It is, but, it is. But the tone is fine. And getting around the tournament is fine and seeing the better history were, or the tournament is fine. But try and went to the other places. The, I mean, Onst is a place I'm very rarely been. But I was up there we, with the auntie, Auntie Rhonda. We'd up there for a, a weekend when she was up one time, when she was home. And I washed the tide of bedding for 20 days longer.
0: Yeah.
1: That is I mean on itself he's so much to see yeah and you yeah it it's just add the outlying areas get around there the, the the outlying areas of Shetland and see the geology of it, mm-hmm. which is mavis Grind and, and and up around the bay where is it a volcano or was it a meteor land there
0: well, it's both in St Magnus Bay. I mean, you've got, you've got Aishness, which is the best section through the Flanko yeah. volcano. But then in St Magnus Bay, if you look at the chart, you'll see on the chart.
1: Oh, I know.
0: There's a big, deep, <laughs> deep, deep, deep hole. hole mm-hmm. And that's where uh, a meteor struck. And there's another one in Sound. Oh, yeah. is that the,
1: the, the Eastbrook or Westbrook?
0: I'm not sure but I'm fairly sure I should be a fisherman with my chart knowledge.
1: <laughs> well the the deep area is St Magnus Bay. That's what the, the, the fisherman called the easy dogs. I don't know what dogs is, do you have that word for certain in the past with the curating abilities?
0: Oh I would need to look it up to be honest. You so would look
1: it up. <coughs> but <coughs> Sorry. The carried that the AC togs, and, and when I was scalloping, I used to, if I got really fine weather, then I would fish the scallops there, and I'd hate to be fine weather, because it was the the limit of my of my uh, trail wire capabilities, so I was had to work a really short wire, I couldn't work with all well. this and the scallops done there, they were pretty, and they were when you couldn't at the rings because of we a scallop every ring at trying them is how old he is. You cunt the rings on the run side of them and that's how old the scallop is. But daddy's were really smart and and the shell was horrendously thick. But I think that was because they were that deep uh, they were they were growing slowly and farming the thick shell for the pressure. Don't again, I, I'm no uh, scientist, but also what you got in them, they were absolutely filthy inside. They were full of, of stuff, it was like it was like wheat fire ash. Yeah, that and was that'll be them. for essy, for for. yeah. Toog, uh, I don't know what toogs
0: Tug. I think, is a mound, a mound springs to mind.
1: Right, well, it could have been that then, because there would have been the the, the garden kind of ripples so on the bottom with the with the tide of okay. in the way it, when there's a sandy beach there's, yeah.
0: there, and,
1: and there's been a lot of wind there's just the ripples and the sand on the wind and the, yeah. Rub, yeah the the ripple effect on the sand, and the tide has the same effect on on the seabed, so it could have been that because in, as he Easy Mounds. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 lakes are there. And and the third thing that I would say is, have you ever run the piers? And look there's an experience that I had just in the last couple of weeks. I was I I was in Mackerel at the Hemnovo Pier, and there was a a, a young couple under under pretty, Bern came done the the pier and they were watching me and there was five rundhead uh, seals flying off the, the outside of the boat. What do you ca- wetting...
0: Dad, what do, you, what do you call a seal? Rundhead. Would you ever say seal on a fishing boat?
1: We try not to.
0: Is it bad luck?
1: Well, I'm not superstitious, but <laughs> it's better to carry my head. Carry on. And uh, the they come in, the five of them comes in, they follow us in the voe every night as we come into the pier because they can they know that we're going to find the odd mackerel that's in the size as we're landing, and as we as we find the ones we throw them all on the side. and this couple was watching this, and the pretty the the, the pretty bairn was looking at you Small would hear a sc- or over. Yeah. <laughs> Scarls over. <laughs>
0: Screams. Go-
1: <laughs> Delighted yeah, <okay>. cries.
0: Delighted <laughs> cries.
1: <laughs> and uh, so I said to the couple, I says, go, go down there. And, and at the pier at Hemniveau, you get what we call the big pier, which is where the bigger sized boats used to lie back in the day. None nine of them comes in here and notice they're too big. And then the the, the pretty pier, small pier, that we lie at, but they, the, the, the width of the big pier goes out to the side of the, of the pity pier. So I said to them, go down there and wedge. So they went down there and then I threw the fish over the stern of the boat, says so it was right below them. And then the, the seals would come <laughs> in and they, they were each one trying to go as fast as they could to get the mackerel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and it's amazing to watch them because when you see them on the shore they look like this big fat slow cumbersome beast but when they're in the water and somebody throws it throws a mackerel when mackerel to five seals you want to see them go <laughs> <laughs> and so if you're if you're about one of the PS and you look and you see the fisherman. Don't be fair to go and speak to them because although they look maybe a bit intimidating or rough the in the, in the ages. Rough in the ages. Every wine, if you, if you engage with them, they will explain what they're doing and they'll tell you everything. Anything you ask them, they'll tell you because at the end of the day Especially with it, with it more so with, it, with it, the with the pity boat made, the small boat made. Every one of them is prude, really prude of what they do. But at the end of the day we're feeding we're keeping fuck alive. No matter what you see or hear on the on the on the media and what propaganda and stuff is going out on down the uh, to the fuck. We're doing our best to try and keep f- food on Fox plates. It's just such a shame that the misto it goes to Europe and that the British public don't use it a bit more. But never be fair to ask them. And you're done again. You might even get a fry. I give you a couple of fry to <laughs> have
0: You're, you're going to have to explain what you mean by a fry.
1: When or two fish that you can take home with you and fill it up or dice up and cook and have for your supper, probably only about one over old.
0: <laughs> and the final question: If you're oh, yeah. if you're in Shetland, then you would probably encourage people to try the seafood. What's your favourite seafood? Haddock. Haddock done, how?
1: Well, I prefer it done in rascally well, in, in breadcrumbs, so but just I do fried. like it in, fried in breadcrumbs. Yeah. we're bold, new taddy. And 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 here again, don't believe I tell you, butter is good just in small quantities. Finally. No cod,
0: no, you're not. Yeah, cod's a very English fish to eat.
1: Yeah, yeah, no cod.
0: Why do we not cod here in Shetland? Glassy. Glassy.
1: Yeah, they're over will if you sat them and dried them. They're good, sat and dried, and then, and then, when you boil them up, boil them up with some new tatties again, good new tatties, and mutton fat poured over them. Yeah.
0: It is, it is a, a funny kind of difference between north and south of the border. Is When you're in England, if you go to the fish and chip shop, then you will get a battered cod. But yeah. in Scotland, you would, you would have to ask for a battered cod and hope that they had one at the bottom of the fridge somewhere because it's oh yeah, always, did, did, always had it.
1: Yeah, probably wouldn't have a cod. No. <laughs> no.
0: Well, listen, Dad, is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: Uh I don't care. I can hardly mind now what we're saying. We seem to have be been speaking for
0: ages. Well, we have. I've. It's been difficult keeping you on, on, uh, on track.
1: Huh. <laughs> I have to say that that uh, I have four I three daughters here in Shetland, and a son in in Denmark, and I am immensely proud of a whole lot of them. No. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, then. We'll speak to thee later on. Well,
0: thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This podcast can only be made possible by my supporters on Patreon. So, a huge thank you to all my patrons. If you would like to support me in bringing you more of these shows, you can sign up and become a patron. You will find details about how to sign up in the show notes below or at www.patreon.com and just search Shetland with Laurie. And remember, you can find more on Instagram and give me a follow at Shetland with Laurie. So thank you once again for listening and we will see you here next time. And in the meantime, safe and happy travels.